Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. We're going to start out this evening in this wonderful psalm, and then we'll jump right back into the Beatitudes. Let me ask you a question. Where and what, perhaps, is your favorite or most comforting scenario? Like what for you right now, if, if you could go to it, just gives you warm and fuzzy feelings on the inside, right? For, for some of you, it's a rainy day. It's just slightly cold enough for a fire to be on. You just got your favorite book again, or a new one from the library. Favorite cup of coffee, no children. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a fishing trip with nobody else, just you, quiet, alone, comforting. Maybe it's just as simple as a hug from mom or from dad or from husband or wife or a stranger, I don't know, just a hug, right? We've all got our favorite comfort. Maybe it's food, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a thing, but comfort is just that. It's comforting. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to run to and find solace in it. And in one of the great Old Testament Psalms here in Psalm 55, David describes for us, in the opening verses, he describes for us all of life's hurts and all of life's pains and afflictions that he's been facing, and he just kind of vomits it out. He just kind of says, look at all of this. We don't have time to read all of them, but I want you to see the first couple verses. He says there in verse 1, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint, and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And then he cries out, he says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away, be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. And these words David is voicing for himself and for all of those who've experienced pain and suffering, either by sin or by the effects of sin. He's expressing a cry for freedom, for release. It's that deep longing for escape From the oppression of life. David yearns for, as he calls it, a life on wings. To be able to fly away from all of life's bitternesses, frustrations, disappointments, trials. To be free of them. To just float away from them. For the last 12 years of my life, my wife and I, we had the privilege of living in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. Which are actually that specific location is known as a rainforest. It rains a significant amount. There's a, there's a significant amount of rainfall throughout the year. One of the privileges I had was working what was called a zip line. And this zip line had a viewpoint in the gorge that looked down on the state of South Carolina 
for a couple hundred feet down and a couple hundred feet across, you would be strapped to this deck in which campers are coming to you and leaving from this deck, and you're enjoying this awesome view boat. There were on many occasions, there were opportunities for us not to just enjoy the leaves, the leaves, the foliage, the mountains, but to see this raging storm coming up from the south or up over the northwest side of the mountains and engulf us in just a moment. And what we'd hear over the radio would be some kind of code that would say, it's time to find shelter. It's time to no longer be strapped to a a wire in which a, a, a lightning bolt could come and just kill you instantly, right? Unstrap yourself, go find shelter. So they built us this little tiny, maybe 10 by 10 little hut that was supposed to save us from the elements. So we would unhook, we'd go, and we'd wait in this storm. After seeing it coming our way, we would, as David puts it, put wings on quickly and fly away to this little shelter. Now, you and I wish we could escape trouble in life, just like we'd escape a thunderstorm, that we could see from a distance and quickly find, run shelter, but comfort from troubles of life is much harder to find than shelter from rain. In fact, the deeper the sorrow, the harder the pressure, the worse the despair, somehow the more elusive comfort seems to be at times. And here's the reality. While all people long for it, comfort that is, not all find the solution. But David found it. David found the solution. He says a couple verses later in verse 16. Did you you see it? He says, but I called to whom? God, he says. And the Lord will save me. God was David's solution. It was God who was going to give him joy. And in fact, the result of finding joy in the Lord for David is that he continued to trust. Look at verse 22. He says, cast your burden on the Lord. He'll sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. David found the way of freedom from sorrows of sin and sorrows of this life is not to look inward or even outward, but to look outward. It is to find in God himself a way of escape, a way of comfort. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. What we're going to see is actually in this second beatitude a very similar expression and frankly an identical lesson from what David is telling us and what Jesus is saying. Because it speaks here in Matthew chapter 5 in the second beatitude, it speaks of the joy found in a man whom God has comforted. The same joy that caused David to go, I found it in God, cast your burdens, cast your care on him, is the same thing we're seeing here in the second beatitude. Jesus says here, Matthew chapter 5 verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, with, like with all the rest of the Beatitudes, you're going to find them to be very paradoxical. There's, there's, there is something that doesn't seem right with these Beatitudes just as you look at them, right? Something fairly unusual by Christ's statement here where he links comfort from God to a state of mourning, In other words, Jesus is saying here, the pathway to a joyful heart is through tears. The pathway to bliss and comfort is through sorrow. 
Now to the world, perhaps even to your neighbor, maybe even to you at times, but especially to our world, this concept is fairly absurd to think about. The world actually has this principle on its end. It turns it upside down. It's fairly backwards to them. Because what do they say? Scripture tells us, they say, let us eat, drink, and be merry. For what? Tomorrow we die. Let's get all of our happiness now. What's the principle that guides their their pursuit of happiness? Well, they say that happiness, bliss, comes by way of money, by pleasure, entertainment, fame, praise, self-expression. That's how you'll find happiness. And the way to avoid happiness, they say, is to just stay as clearly far away as possible from pain, trouble, disappointment, any kind of frustrations, hardships, problems. Stay away from those and you'll be happy. But Jesus actually gives it a 180 and he turns it on its head and he says this, No, joyful are the sad. Joyful are the sad. In fact, in a parallel account, of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, Jesus takes it a step further where he says this. He says, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn. Jesus completely reverses the path of true joy and true blessing. He tells us that joy comes through sorrow. And my friends, I believe it's of utter importance that we get this right. Because in our pursuit of blessing, peace, and joy... We need to look for it, find its source in one true place. Jesus said it only comes from one place, and it's the result of one kind of living. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But let me ask you a question. What causes this kind of mourning in our life that Jesus is talking about? We read a phrase like this, and we we hear the words of Christ saying, Blessed are those who mourn, great But what gives you cause to grieve? What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those who mourn? Mourn over what? Well, I'd I'd like to present three things to you tonight. We're going to look at three things that cause us to mourn, but then we're going to look at three things that give us comfort. The first thing that I believe that we should be mourning over is simply this. It's human sorrow. Human sorrow. Such is the sorrow we face When we come face to face with death or disappointment, a sorrow for loss, a rejection, a sorrow for ongoing pain and difficulty, sorrow for trials on every side, a sorrow of agony we can't fully utter, a sorrow well known to the people in this church, a sorrow that has been once again recharged again over this, the past few weeks in, in a separate, uh, different kind of circumstances. Uh, the, perhaps the sudden ex- unexpected death of a young college student, Jaden Goins, hit by a car, leaving behind his parents and siblings, missionaries in Honduras, leaving them in a state of shock, grief that frankly I cannot begin to imagine. The home going of one of our very own, Mrs. Shoemaker, at the age of 99. A life well lived, but a loss nonetheless. The list of physical issues and sicknesses that permeate the lives of many of the people here. The continual hospitalizations and appointments and treatments that never seem to end. They never go away. 
the ongoing hurts and pains in each family, each individual, that perhaps many don't even know about. The grief and sorrow that's sealed up in our own hearts of each one of you, dear people. My friends, human sorrow is very real. And it really hurts. It's not like something that we can just pretend is not here. It's with us a lot. Sometimes all day. Sometimes for weeks. Sometimes for years. But my friends, this kind of sorrow, human sorrow, is not actually distant or absent from the heart of God in his sovereign plan. A a quick overview and quick glance at Scripture would help us see that this is true not just for this year and this day, but it's always been like this. We see this kind of sorrow in Genesis chapter 23 when Abraham mourns the death of his wife Sarah. It says that he did not weep for lack of faith. You know why he wept? Because of the loss of his beloved wife, it says. Timothy mourns because of defeat and discouragement that he was experiencing, causing him to write Paul, his mentor, saying, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. There is also a great anguish and concern about the sins of Israel and God's coming judgment on his people that causes Jeremiah to great mournly. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Paul expresses great concern for the spiritual welfare of the Ephesian believers, and it causes him to mourn as well. Listen to what it says in Acts 10, uh, 20, 31. Night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Even our Lord, with an immeasurable divine love, weeps at the death of his dear friend Lazarus and mourns deeply through tears because of the sinning of the people of Jerusalem. He mourns, he weeps. My friends, no one is immune to the sorrows of this life. Everybody feels it. Author Herman Melville once observed, He says, until we understand, until we understand that one grief outweighs a thousand joys, we will never understand what Christianity is trying to make us. There's a kind of mourning, my friends, other than the mourning over sin that's a guaranteed part of our lives as believers. It's this mourning of human sorrow. We feel it. It's very real. It hurts a lot. It stays longer than we want it to stay. We mourn because we wish this life would just be different. The pain and disappointments, that they would just fade away. We mourn over the sorrows we face. But there's another kind of mourning that I believe Christ is referring to here. Not just mourning over the pain and the hurt we have, but second, the evil in this world. You don't have to go very far in your day and in your news feed to very quickly come face to face with this reality. Sin and evil in our world today can be extremely overwhelming. It's at every corner of life. 
Not only do we grieve the loss of one of our dear saints this, this past couple weeks, but this past Monday, we all experienced a deep sense of loss and pain at the news of the Nashville shooting. Seven people dead, four adults including the shooter, and three precious children. You hear reports, you watch videos, and your reaction can be nothing less than sorrow. As you try to place yourself in the shoes of parents, grandparents, spouses, friends, you're quickly overwhelmed with a deep sense of grief and hurt for those people. You're quickly reminded of how truly evil sin is, how devastating it can be. We also mourn. We'd be fools not to mourn over this. We also mourn if you look at the overwhelming number of children aborted over the years, of lives lost prematurely ushered into eternity, you look at that and you mourn for the loss of these lives. We say it should not be this way. We cry out in grief over sinful choices that have resulted in the loss of so many. We mourn over the ungodly treatment of people groups that suffer at the hand of oppressive regimes, Leaders, nations, people groups. We mourn of the abuse of children, the incredible number of children in the foster care system that are tossed from one family to another over and over again. My friends, we grieve. It shouldn't be this way. We mourn for the persecution of believers at the hands who know not God. My friends, we mourn all of the evil in this world. To mourn sin and the effects of sin in our world. And simply put, an awareness of sin in our world should produce in the heart of every believer a mourning for all of its evils. It it frankly should cause us to cry out, how long, Lord? How long? But not only do we mourn human sorrow... Not only do we mourn the evil that's all around us, I think here... And this final one is something that's even closer to the intent of Christ. This one strikes pretty close to the heart as well. Because I believe what Jesus is speaking of here is not just something that's for all. This is an individual mourning because he also spoke of an individual comfort here. The combination here seems to suggest that the primary mourning should be personal and for one's own spiritual condition. What do I mean by that? Well, in other words, this is a mourning for our sin. Yes, we should mourn because of all the pains and hurts we have. Yes, we should mourn for all the evils that we see in our world. But my friends, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn their own sins. And if this is the primary interpretation of this verse, then it's a promise that God himself will comfort the one who sees his own unworthiness before him. It's an individual mourning, therefore an individual comfort. Let me put it this way. A man who truly faces himself and examines himself and his life is a man who must, from necessity, from seeing himself, mourn his sins also. It's said to be a good thing for every man to pause at the end of the day and meditate upon himself, to quickly run over his life and ask questions like, what have I done? What have I said? What have I thought? What have I behaved? How have I behaved? What have I done today? 
What, what would it be like if, if we were just an open book right before we went to bed and we had to rehearse and ask these questions of ourselves just for today? What have you thought? What's gone through your mind? What have you done? What have you said? What have you looked at? Where have you gone? And if you were to honestly sit down and do this, a quick inventory, you'd realize the nature of your deeds. And those of us who are in Christ would be struck with a sense of grief and sorrow, frankly, because we are even capable of such things, actions, thoughts throughout our day. To even think that, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I had that thought. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. In fact, we would echo the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. Listen to what this man, this great man said. He said, so I find it to be a law that when I am to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, he says, but... I also see in my inner being another law, waging war against the law in my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And after seeing how desperately sinful he really is, you know what he says? He cries out, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Folks, when we discover this war in our members... And we hate it, that sin that so easily besets us. We should mourn because of it. Mourning here in this context is an act of repentance over sin in our sinful condition. It's a recognition of who we are before God. Because when we see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are, we grieve. We're truly heartbroken. Folks, this is the morning Christ is talking about. You're crushed in your heart and in your soul and and over your sin, but also over the price that it's it's required. It's requiring the brutal death of God's only son. My friends, a truly godly person mourns not only at the loss of a loved one or at the loss of his own health, but a godly person mourns also the sin of God that he has before God. Real repentance over sin is generated generated by a profound sorrow from the soul in which he will deeply grieve his own sin. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, I believe it's a threefold mourning. It, it, It is a mourning that as you look at your own life and the pain and toil and hardship You say, I don't like pain, trial, disappointments, death, loss. It hurts. And that's, there is cause for mourning there. There's also this looking at the world and the evil, and it will cause us, it should cause us to mourn, but we should also carefully examine our own lives for the sinfulness that we are continually capable of. These are the things we mourn for. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. Mourn. But I want, to, I want to take you to a better place. I want you to lift your eyes, raise your head, 
Let your gaze see a little bit closer on the horizon because on the other side of mourning for sin and evil and loss, on the other side of mourning is comfort. The result of mourning is comfort. Jesus says, they shall be comforted. The promise of the second beatitude is comfort. Comfort for those who sense their sin and mourn who endure human sorrow and mourn, who see the world's evil and mourn. They are called, Jesus says, blessed. Blessed, blissful, joyful are you, Jesus says. Why? Because you will receive comfort. I want to end with these three things. What what, what does this comfort look like then? Is it just some happy, go lucky, warm, fuzzy feeling you get from hugging someone or from going on that fishing trip or having your favorite cup of coffee? Well, what is the comfort you and I truly receive when we've endured loss or when we see someone in, in this world living out in evil ways or, or, or when we look at our own lives and we see who we are? What kind of comfort is there? When we do all this morning, I want, to, I want to give you three things. The first one is this. The first comfort that we receive from the comfort of Christ is a deliverance from sin's penalty. Deliverance from sin's penalty. The believer who grieves over his sin and sees them as a great offense to God will mourn, but he will also experience the comfort that God has provided through the cross of Christ. The Bible tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and we merited nothing from God but alienation and eternal death. But Christ came to step between the wrath of God and those who trust in Jesus. He took the blow of God's wrath on himself, paying the full penalty, stepping between us, and God has placed the full righteousness of Jesus on our account so that we are seen as perfectly acceptable to God in Christ. My friends, talk about comforting. Talk about something that, that you want to embrace. Ephesians 1 verse 6 tells us that he has made us accepted in the beloved. My friends, there is an unspeakable joy in this experience of God's comfort. Christ delivers us from sin's penalty. We no longer stand condemned before a holy God. We stand justified, freed from sin's death, death's penalty. How? Through Christ. So when you look at all of the evil, all of the sin, all of the sorrow, and you mourn, take comfort, and that because of Christ, you stand guiltless, freed from sin's penalty. Take comfort in your sorrow. Take comfort in your pain. Take comfort in your mourning. Because you may mourn for sin and the sin's effects now, but you won't face the judgment reserved for those who die in sin. You won't. You you have something promised you in Christ. Take comfort in that. 
Let that comfort your hurting soul. But not only do we take comfort in the fact that we're delivered from sin's penalty, we're also delivered from present sin and its power. Number two, we're delivered from present sin and its power over us. My friends, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ abides in you through his spirit and you have been united with Christ. You've been united with him in order to make you victorious from sin and over sin and sin's power in your life. Listen, listen to Romans chapter 6, this glorious passage starting in verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Listen to this phrase. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. You might say, Pastor Sean, okay, if I've been freed from sin's penalty, great comfort there. And you're telling me that sin has no more power over me, then why do I continue to sin on a daily basis? We don't have time, but actually Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6 reminds us of this thing that you and I still live in. It's called the body of flesh. This bag of bones that still wants sin. Unfortunately, it's going to be here for a while. It's going to be here until the day you, you pass on from this life. You're not going to be free from it until you die or Christ returns. But I want you to hear this. Although sin will always be with the Christian as long as he lives, it's simply not true that you need to be defeated by it today. Paul gives us the formula. Here's the formula for living today like you already are defeating sin because of Christ in you. Here's the formula in Galatians. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The person who's walking the Spirit, who's been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, that person, my friends, is no longer under the rule and reign and the power of sin. He's free from it. He can say no. Just as Christ defeats death once and for all by rising from the grave, the believer has been brought into union with Christ and is called to live in that same reality. Right now, death, excuse me, dead to sin and alive to God once for all. So my friends, what's the comfort here? What's the comfort here that we no longer are, the power of sin no longer has dominion over us? What's the comfort? Well, I believe the comfort is that you and I are in union with Christ. Your union is everything you need to live now who you already are in Christ. You've not only received freedom from the penalty from sin, but you've also received power to tell yourself no today, to deny your flesh. Just think about it. How troubling would it be? How despairing would it be if we lived our lives dominated by sin with no hope of winning, no hope of any kind of victorious life right here on this earth? How, How horrible would that be? That's that's a miserable reality. But what Paul 
After saying, oh, wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? He says, but thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. My friends, you and I, we have been brought into a sweet, powerful union with Christ that has given you everything you need today to say no to you, to your flesh. Take comfort in this. Take comfort that you have Christ in you. But there's a third deliverance. Deliverance from sin's penalty, deliverance from sin's power and dominion over you, but thirdly, deliverance from the very presence of sin. My friend, the fact is that one day Christ will remove sin and all of its effects from the believer forever. This means a deliverance from sin's presence in your life. And if we're mourning, if we're grieving as we should over sin, the sin-cursed world, the effects of sin, sorrow, it should cause us to do this, to long all the more for the day when sin is no longer a reality. It should cause you to cry out and say, Lord, how long? To long for the day where you no longer smell like sin or are permeated by all of the effects of sin in your life. I don't know about you, but I long for the day where sin no longer causes death, destruction, abuse, hatred, separation, sickness, loss, on and on and on. I long for that day. Because sin and its effects are ever-present right now. When I look at my sinful flesh and I look at the world around me, I want desperately to be sinless, to be sin-free, to no longer be in sin's presence. And my friend, the day is coming when we'll be taken from this world into the presence of Christ. And on that day, there will be no more sin to confess There will be no more sin to mourn over. There will be no more sin to fight against. Free, free at last. The promised and guaranteed end for all those who believe is exactly this. Listen listen to what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But because of him in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Friends, take comfort in this. There is a day coming with no more sin. No more effects from sin. Take comfort. And of course, the reality, the result of living in this reality, that sin's presence will one day be gone, that sin no longer has dominion over you, that you have been given freedom from the penalty of sin, living in this reality will propel you to live a hope-filled day today. It should. 
It, it should cause you to kind of run a little bit, jump and kick your heels and go, woohoo! Because you've been delivered from everything because of Christ. Because when you, I mean, let's get real for a second here. When you lose a loved one, you mourn. And you mourn greatly. When you see the sin in the world, you grieve, you mourn. When you, when you take an honest look at your own life, you mourn. But my friends, we mourn knowing that our mourning will turn to joy on the day of resurrection. Yes, the comfort God's people can expect is in part now. There is great comfort today. 2023, in this building, there's great comfort from God. But we live free from sin's penalty and sin's power today, but in full, one day in full, on that final day, we'll experience complete freedom from sin's presence. Take comfort in that. Just as the prophet Isaiah says, prophesying of the Messiah who would come and provide this longed-for comfort for God's people, he says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says, our, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There's coming a day when we will be utterly and entirely blessed. Because nothing will disfigure life or detract from it. Nothing will spoil it. Sorrow and groaning will be no more. All tears wiped away. You and I, my friends, because of Christ in us, will experience joy, bliss, glory, and the presence of our God. And to that end, I say, even so, Lord, come quickly. Deliverance from sin's penalty, deliverance from the dominion and the power of sin today, deliverance from the presence of sin forever. There's, there's a lot of comfort there. That's the great comfort we need. I, I'll be honest, I, I wrestled a little bit last week and this week to know how to close out the second beatitude from Christ here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are endless passages on the comfort of God for these varying different reasons that we have to mourn. Whether it's sin in us, sin in our world, the sorrows we face, there are many. But on Tuesday morning, I, I, was, I was scrolling through a Twitter feed, a Twitter feed, and I came across a one-sentence statement from the father of the nine-year-old girl, Haley, who died on Monday. One of the three little kids who was shot. Pastor Chad Scruggs from Nashville, Tennessee, gave one brief statement, evidently, one short sentence, and I don't know if he's had anything since, but this is, this is one of the things that he said. Here's, here's the sentence. He says, through tears, we trust that she, Haley, is in the arms of Jesus. who will raise her to life once again. After reading that, I, 
I pause and I, I began to remember and rehearse back the many passages that I had been reading and thinking about, and immediately my mind went to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can you go there real quick? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because I think Pastor Chad is echoing the very words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he, writing for himself and his apprentice Timothy, is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, he's beginning to rehearse, and starting in verse 3, we're not going to read all of them, but in verse 3, he begins to rehearse for these people all of the afflictions, all of the pains, the comforts that he's experienced, and he's telling them, I've had afflictions, I've had difficulties, I've experienced comforts. I want you to know this. And then verse 8, he tells them why. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia. He's like, I I want you to know we've experienced some really bad things. He goes on to kind of even give a further description. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. You ever been in a situation that that's what it feels like? utterly despaired for life itself. And he says, indeed we felt, verse 9, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril And he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Do you know what Paul is saying? Do you know what Pastor Chad Scruggs is saying? Afflictions, sorrows, sin. Those are very real things. Pastor Chad is not Ignoring the fact. He says, through tears, we're in in sorrow. We're in anguish. But through tears, we're entrusting her to Jesus because we know that God will bring life again to her. And Paul says, I sorrow, I'm afflicted. But guess what? He says, God raises from the dead. He's delivered us from deadly peril. On him we have set our hope. So yes, we mourn, we mourn, but not without hope. We mourn, but not without joy. Not without absolute surety. Why? For God, who delivers us from sin's penalty, who delivers us from sin's power, who delivers us from sin evermore. That's why. And like Paul, and like Pastor Chad, and like many other who've gone before, we say, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again, whether it's here or whether it's on that day. My friends, take comfort in this. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. God, we're so grateful, so thankful that in the midst of our darkest times, the heaviest of days, 
you have given us a way to be called blessed. To find bliss and joy in those darkest of moments. And the formula that Jesus has given us is this. Find joy, find bliss, be blessed as you mourn because you will be comforted. God, I praise you for Jesus who gives us ultimate reason to find comfort. Will you comfort us this week as we walk through the evil of this world, through the sinfulness of our hearts, through the sorrow of our own human life? Will you comfort us? May we cry out to you again, and may we say over and over again, on you have we set our hope, because you will deliver us again. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.